window of opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 19, There But For the Grace of God. And with us this week, we have a returning guest. Yes, she's back again, everybody. It's Brianna. Yay! Yay! Oh, wait, why am I cheering for myself? That's very arrogant. <laughs> because you're awesome. That's why everybody should always cheer for themselves. <laughs> I cheer for myself all the time. Uh, my my cheers for, were for the two of you because this is an excellent podcast. Oh, well, thank you. We're very glad to have you back. At least uh, three people you. think so. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we got a lot to get into with this one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So you're going to be joining us for the next couple of weeks, though, right? Yes. To get through the end of the season, because these are this sort of just all one kind of big, long story. Yeah, the Serpent's Arc. Yeah. So be prepared, people. Bree's going to be back. Yep. Buckle yeah. down. You have to deal with me for at least a month. Sorry. Oh, no. How horrible for us all to have you here with us. That's such <laughs> a terrible thing. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, starting off this series of episodes with There Before the Grace of God, which originally aired on February 20th, 1998. The story was by David Kemper and the teleplay by Robert C. Cooper, and it was directed by David Worry Smith. In this episode, an alien artifact transports Daniel to an alternate reality where he is not a part of the Stargate program and the Gould, led by Tilk, are invading Earth. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I felt like that needed something. Yeah. yeah it, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know. It's always like, well, summary. now what? Okay, now what? I know. We got to work right. on that for next season. Transition. It either, it either needed that or a... <gasps> <laughs> I will accept either. Should I do it again and you can add the gasp this time? Okay. <laughs> okay. In this episode, an alien artifact transports Daniel to an alternate reality where he is not a part of the Stargate program and the Gould, led by Tilk, are invading Earth. <gasps> Which one is better? <laughs> oh, both of them. There we go. That's what we do. Knock my mic over. <laughs> Don't do that, Bree. Nope. Oh, do it again. I promise. Okay. All right. So in this episode, we open with SG-1 coming through the gate into what could be a large but very dark room. There's debris on the ground around the gate, and the only light really is coming from their flashlights. There doesn't seem to be any real light in this room, at least. And we see Daniel start to, like, film the area, and then we cut to a POV of the camera that Daniel's recording with. And there's also some damage to the room that Tilk suggests was done by Gould, rep- Gould Weaponry, but not recently. Sam asks Daniel if he recognizes any of these the symbols on some of the equipment that's there, but he does not. And he says, this place is definitely alien. Yes, Daniel, it's a whole nother planet. It, I would say this is definitely <laughs> alien. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. That line is just sort of like, obviously? Right. For a smart guy, Daniel says some of the dumbest stuff. He looks at it and he's like, uh, we're in Seattle? That's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Daniel's defense, most of the planets that they, if not all of the planets that they've been to so far, 
have been offshoots of Earth culture that he recognized. This is yeah. the first one that is alien. It's not oh, Earth-based. Okay. So you think he was sort of talking about the technology and the stuff in general, not just whatever language Sam was pointing at, possibly. Yeah, I, 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 that, that's, that's how I'm going to defend him anyway, because I okay. have to defend Daniel. Yes. So we're going with alien as in alien, not human? Yeah, or as an alien completely new. He's never seen it before. Mm. Okay. I can accept that. I'm still going with Seattle. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, or, you know, Vancouver, one or the other. <laughs> well, see, Vancouver would not be alien, though. Vancouver is alien every week. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vancouver. We love you. Yes. All right. So Daniel and Sam then leave the room to apparently there's a door and they're like, what's through there? So they go to check that out. And then Jack shines his flashlight on this object that's like it's like sticking in the floor, like it's not like some sort of staff, like stuck in the ground somehow or is propped up on something that we can't see because we don't see all the way down to the ground. And it, it almost looks like like a death mask or something. It's like a large metal thing. There's a vague face shape kind of in the middle of it, surrounded by spikes. And it's really kind of scary looking. And he asks Tilk if he's ever seen anything like it before. Tilk like mumbles something under his breath and looks really, really, really scared and nervous. And he tells Jack, we got to go now. Like we have to leave immediately. Apparently that thing is a symbol of the Koroshnai, which is left by the ghoul after they have completely wiped out a planet. And it loosely translates, Tilk says, to turn back. And basically the entire planet is now radioactive. So something very, very, very bad has happened here. And SG-1 needs to go back to Earth now. Jack and Tilk go to get Sam and Daniel, who appear to have found what looks like an archaeological lab of some sort. Daniel starts explaining to Sam what some of the artifacts there are. There's like a Turkish mask and a clay cone from Legash with cuneiform on it. Do you guys know anything about Legash? Or Legash? I think it's Legash, he says. Mm, I do don't. not. No. Would you like to know about Legash? Yes. Absolutely. So, Lagash is an ancient Sumerian city that was located at the northwest juncture of the Euphrates and Tigris, Tigris rivers in the late 3rd millennium BCE. The, not, not Seattle? No, not Seattle. Okay. No, that would be Baghdad. Uh, <laughs> however, the interesting thing is that the dynasties of Lagash are not found on the Sumerian king list. Although there is a fragment that has been found that is now known as the rulers of Lagash. So Lagash was at one point conquered by Sargon of Akkad, as in like the Akkadians, so Sargon of Akkad, um, around 2300 BCE, during which he laid waste to the area of Lagash all the way to the sea. However, there were then numerous uprisings and his son and successor Rimush had to like reconquer Lagash many times during his life, <laughs> which I thought was was kind of cool. Like he did like it wasn't just one conquer and they were done. They were like, no, we will not be conquered. Um, 
but they kept trying. Yeah. And uh, Rimush also kept meticulous records of his conquests, and there are writings that detail his mass slaughter and the large-scale destruction that he did, like, over and over and over again. Um, however, Lagash did experience a period of revival after the fall of the Akkadian Empire, and in- interesting thing is its rulers then took to calling themselves governor rather than, like, king or anything like that. Like, it was a less formal and sort of like authoritative title which was interesting hmm. and they had a great deal of independence relative to like other cities in the area of the time and the second and last dynasty of Lagash lasted until 2110 BCE so there you go that's Lagash for you okay yes and they used clay combs apparently I couldn't find anything like about clay cones like what it was what it was used for I'd so I can only find about Lagash, but not really much about the, you know, archaeological findings of the area, unfortunately. So anyway, everything that's there is all very exciting. But Jack's like, nope, we got to go. And Daniel's like, but all all this, all this this stuff. The things and stuff. Stuff and things. Stuff. I want to play with it. Yes. I want to touch everything on this table. Yeah. So he, you know, Daniel's very much not happy and basically just like starts shoving things into his book bag to like take back with him. And everything's sort of very old. But then he touches this one thing that is definitely not old. It's like sort of, I don't know, teardrop shaped with blue and pink crystals or lights on it, something. And then there's this like humming noise that comes from somewhere. And he turns to see what looks like a large mirror in the room because it's like reflecting the room. But it's not reflecting him, which is a little weird. So as any curious archaeological person does, he reaches out and touches it. Don't touch it, Daniel. Oh, don't touch it. Don't um, touch it, Daniel. I think that's going to be my memo for this, yeah, for this don't episode. Touch don't touch things. Yes. Um, and so we see, like, a flash of light, and then Daniel takes his hand away, and he, like, gathers up all the stuff and goes running to find the, S- the rest of SG-1 so that they can like help him like take the mirror back through the gate with them, which, okay. Um, but the gate room is now empty and he like calls out for everybody and nobody answers. So he goes, Oh, I really hate it when this happens. So how many times has SG one left Daniel behind? Because (laughs) this is apparently not the first time something like this has happened or like, like what is he referring to when like this happens? Uh, broke a divide and, um, Oh, I just completely the, the the one with Nim. Well, they were brainwashed there. Well, yeah, but they did they left him behind. That's true. Um, and they left him behind and broke a divide. Yeah. Well, Teal did. Um, okay. And there was one other one. Uh, I should know because I've covered them all up to this point. <laughs> well, Korai kinda, but they left him and Teal. Yeah, and that wasn't them abandoning them. That was them going, hey, we have to go back to Earth. Right, we have to get Hammond in on this. Yeah. Um, I think it would just be the two, right, so far? Is is that enough times to to warrant a, I hate it when this happens? Well. Yeah, I think when it's the third time. (laughs) (laughs) Because the third time is when it starts to be a pattern, right? Yeah. Yeah, and just think how much fanfic was written during season one, and it was all about him getting left behind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, There's a lot of that. 
there is. Uh, I've written one of those myself, actually, that took place right smack dab in the middle of season one. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so he dials Earth and heads on through. And then for some reason, as soon as he's through the wormhole, he immediately turns around to look at the gate and, like, watch the iris close. And there's a voice over the speaker that calls out to, like, close the iris. And then Daniel turns around and there's a bunch of soldiers pointing guns at him. And one of them orders Daniel to put his hands on his head or they will open fire. Daniel complies, very confused about what's going on, and identifies himself. Like, when they ask, you know, who are you? He's like, I'm Daniel Jackson of SG-1. So Hammond then comes in and Daniel asks the general what's going on. And he goes, General, do you see any stars on my uniform? And the soldier from earlier addresses him as Colonel Hammond. So something's up because mm-hmm. Colonel, Colonel Hammond. Uh, but Colonel Hammond asks Daniel how he got SG-1's remote access code as the soldier like cuffs Daniel. And Daniel and Hammond are both very, very, very confused as I think are we at this point, as we cut to the opening credits. So what do you guys think is going on at this point? Do you have any ideas? Like when you like when you were first watching this episode, did you immediately sort of get a handle on what was happening as far as like in the story? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I because we we saw him touch the mirror and have something weird happen. So... We knew there was an alternate something happening. Um, But I always find it funny how he gets like so upset. Like, why isn't this? And doesn't figure out sooner of like, hmm. Yeah. None of you, none of you know me. None of you are you. And I'm the one that's different. Maybe I'm somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Daniel is, I mean, if this was Sam, I think she would immediately figure out that she had jumped from one universe to another just because she's a theoretical astrophysicist. So she has dealt with the theoretical of the multiverse theory. Daniel is an archaeologist. He is an earth scientist. He is very fact based. So he probably wouldn't have been exposed to that theory very much, if at all. I don't know that he I mean, I'm I'm with Rachel. It's like, yeah, you figure out as soon as he comes through that gate that something has happened. Um, He's, you know, either his earth has been changed somehow or he's on a different one. But I don't know that Daniel actually living the experience. Seeing people that he knows that don't know him and that are different, but he still knows them and all of that. He would be so wrapped up in that. I don't think he would even consider an alternate universe as a possibility. Okay. I think That's Sam funny. would. Yeah. So we come back from the credits and Daniel's just like yelling about how he's from SG one. He's not a ghoul as he's sort of like dragged through the halls and like, he just needs to talk to Colonel O'Neill and some guys like, you mean general O'Neill and also like, where's Dr. Frazier? And no, you don't need to give him that shot. I'm fine, but he still gets it. And as Daniel starts to pass out, Oh wait, what's Catherine doing there? And then Daniel's out. Uh, so apparently that was a tranquilizer of some sort. And you also see, he's like laying on like the bed of an MRI machine. So apparently they're going to be doing some testing on mm. 
this random person who has somehow entered the SGC. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact also, this is Elizabeth Hoffman who plays Catherine. This is her last screen role. So this is the last time she's on camera. Still alive though, I believe. As of a couple days ago when I was like looking stuff up for this episode, I believe she's still alive and well, just has not acted since this episode. Really? So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She never is anywhere else? No, well, not after Wait. this, no. They hmm. mention her several times. Yes. And then Daniel goes to her funeral in what, season eight? Something like that. Seven or eight. Yeah. He goes to her, her funeral. Hmm. Yeah. And meets her niece. Yes. But we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um we'll get to so, season eight in a few years. Yeah, in a couple, yeah. Give us time. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um so we then fade in from the fade out, and Daniel wakes up in a cell. He puts on his glasses. Yay. Michael Tanks remembers that he wears glasses in this. Um, tries to open the door and when it doesn't, he starts just like yelling and like banging on the door and it then opens and in comes Catherine who has no idea who Daniel is and wants to know how he came through her Stargate. So, well, like she knows who Daniel Jackson is in general as a person who exists on earth, but they're, they're not friends in any capacity like they were as we know them to be. And she also wants to know how Daniel came into, like, possession of the GDO and SG-1's code, which isn't it lucky that this alternate universe's SG-1 GDO code is the same as their GDO code? Very fortunate. Very Yeah, I thought about that, too, of, like, "Mm." Like, plot armor. Yeah. Um, So, but, you know, about the whole, like, you know, how he came through the gate. And he's like, how do you think? I, like, I just left here a few hours ago. And she's like, no, you didn't. You've never been in this facility before. And then basically it becomes sort of Daniel telling Catherine everything that he believes to be true. Basically all the events we've seen of, like, the movie and the series up to this point. And he tells her about how he helped decipher the cartouche and went to Abydos, is now a member of SG-1. But according to Catherine, Daniel said no when she went to recruit him. So and was very rude about it, as I yes. recall. Yes, apparently yeah. very rude. And Daniel then asks her about Captain Carter, but in Catherine's reality, she's just Dr. Carter with a PhD in astrophysics, but is not a member of the military. And Daniel's just like getting like more and more like agitated and confused and upset because Catherine's supposed to be retired and living happily with Ernest. And now Catherine is very confused because how do you know about the guy who was supposed to marry in 1945? Uh, hmm. So we cut to General O'Neill's office and we hear, well, we see Colonel Hammond telling him that 50% of the list has made it to the beta site and Voyager is still en route. Okay, those are very interesting words. Um, And then Catherine comes in and tells Jack that he really should talk with Daniel because he knows things. So Jack heads out to the briefing room where Daniel is waiting. And if you'll note, the signage on the wall behind Daniel actually says SGA, not SGC. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what do you think the A stands for? Instead of Stargate Command, Stargate As- Association? I think I probably thought administration. Okay. I, I had both those thoughts. I was like, hmm. Yeah. Either Alterations? 
<laughs> Alliteration. Agency, agency doesn't really work because it's a division of the military, right? It's not a civilian. Okay. Or is yeah. it civilian run? Well, General O'Neill is in charge, but Catherine is still there. So right. is Catherine above Jack? Jack. Or are they like parallel somehow? I don't know. It's interesting because if it's not military, why is it like 90% military people? Right. Well, because if I think any way you look at it, if you discover that you have a way to get to other planets, the military is going to be involved. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Eventually, anyway. Yeah. You're not just going to be like, that's cool. Call us if something goes wrong. Bye. Oh. <laughs> uh. You have fun on your other planets. <laughs> oh, oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if it's military, we'll go with administration. If it's civilian, we'll go with agency. Or it's foreshadowing of six years later <laughs> when it's Atlantis. No, no Atlantis. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Stargate's like, abound. I'm just, I just keep thinking of things. I'm going to come up with them throughout okay. this whole thing. I'm just okay. going to shout it out. Okay. okay. Please do. Um, so Daniel continues to be confused because he and Jack know each other very well. And Jack just kind of looks at him and asks him like about the Gould. And Daniel's like, you know everything I know about the Gould. And you know, what do you mean? And then he also asks, asks about Tilk. And they're like, who is Tilk? And he's like, big guy, gold, em- gold emblem on his head, gold in his stomach. You can't miss him. And they're like, a Jaffa. And now, like, that just pisses Jack off even more. And, like, he heads back to his office. Um, and, like, and Catherine holds him back. And how does Daniel, like, know the things he does? How did he even come through the gate? Like, Jack, you'd, like, you like, you need to listen to this guy. There's something going on here. So Daniel then brings up the original Abydos mission and that Jack had intended it as a suicide mission for himself because his son had just killed himself accidentally. And then he's like, wait. Did you even go to like Chulak? And they're like, what's Chulak? He's like, it's the Jaffa homeworld. And they're like, where, where, where is it? Can you write it? Like, do you know the address? And he's like, yeah. And like, writes down the address for them. And then here comes Sam. Daniel's very happy to see her, but she's not his Sam, very obviously, because she has long hair. I like the long hair. In civilian. I know. This is probably like the best wig they've ever given Amanda on this show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good wig. She looks really good with the long hair. Yeah. I agree. I that that was the best compared to later wigs. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. This was a really good one. Yes. Um, but she's come in to tell Jack that they've lost DC and Philadelphia. And Daniel's like, oh, what's what's going on? And something is apparently in this whole conversation and scenario has like changed something in Jack's mind because he decides to let Catherine and Sam like tell him and like show him what's going on whereas i you know two seconds ago he probably wouldn't so whatever that is yay good um so they head down to the control room and we see a map of earth with like red dots and swaths of just like red everywhere and apparently those red dots are all cities that have been destroyed because the ghouls are here attacking from space yeah So we then see a news report on the TV that says um, 
All military efforts to engage in the alien ships have proven inconsequential, as in Asia, Europe, and Africa, they have slowly and systematically annihilating all signs of civilization, starting on the East Coast and moving West with frightening inevitability. There has been no response with attempted communication with the aliens. Thus far, they have left no survivors in the wake of the seemingly unstoppable wave of destruction. So... Apparently we've done something to like piss them off. I don't know why they're here, but they're here and they are very not happy and they're just taking everybody out that they can. Well, isn't it the, because they did do the Abydos mission. It was just, it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, they, Jack did destroy raw, but came back from it. And that is what triggered Apophis to have an interest in earth is the fact that we were powerful enough to destroy raw. Okay. So we're a threat. Okay. It's the argument that that Daniel and Jack both used to open up the gate and start exploring. True. Yeah. My question is, what, now that we think about it, like, what has prevented the gold from doing this to the current reality so far? I would guess it's the number of times SG-1 has gone through and engaged Apophis and they've weakened him. And they've kept him occupied in other places so he's not been able to make his way to earth yet they didn't like stop it stop it but they screwed with him enough that they delayed it yeah because there it was mentioned in one of the earlier episodes that even if they came by ship it would take months to get here from wherever they are so um but apparently this other sga facility didn't do enough to slow things down even accidentally you mean the stargate authority yeah oh authority oh that's a good one that is a good one (laughs) yes but they've they've engaged with apophis where on chulak uh with um, the nox with that yep on the nox planet um, uh, and then they well with Korai? yeah with Apophis's Apophis? Jaffa not with him yeah. directly in Korai. Yeah. Uh, so they've they've been engaging him in other theaters and they've been keeping him from launching the attack. Right. So we cut then to the briefing room where Daniel and Catherine are talking and they're basically sort of looking through all the stuff that Daniel had in his pack that he brought back from P3R233. And this is also where we first hear Daniel speculate that the mirror thing he touched might be made of Naquita. He then explains to Catherine what happened to him, then, you know, like what we saw at the beginning of the episode. And Catherine speculates that that one item that had like the blue and pink lights on it might be the thing that controls the mirror, which seems obvious because he touched it and then it turned on kind of thing. That thing looks like a Nintendo or an Xbox controller to me. Yeah. Yeah, like an old Nintendo 64 controller. Yeah, like they just like you know spray painted it silver and put other things on it. Right. <laughs> As you know, everything is something else in sci-fi. Oh yeah, yeah. So Daniel's sort of like pacing as he's talking to Catherine and he notices that the gate is being dialed and wonders what's going on. And there's what appears to be a bomb on the ramp to the gate. And we then hear Sam ask Jack, that isn't their mission to get like the Genesis list to the beta site. Again, very interesting words to be saying. And Jack's like, yeah, well, maybe we should also try to stop the attack on Earth first. 
So Daniel asks Catherine about the beta site and Catherine explains that they're basically sending everyone that they can through to another planet, like scientists, leaders, doctors, just, you know, important Earth people are being evacuated off world. So currently and, they're the Stargate alphas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep them coming. Just keep them there coming. There we go. There just we die. go. I, I love them all. Uh, so Daniel sort of like takes in everything that's going on and puts two and two together and they're sending a nuclear bomb to Chulak and Daniel like, which makes them the Stargate assholes. (laughs) Oh yes. I agree with that one. That is an accurate, that is an accurate A. Yeah. Yeah. So Daniel obviously objects very much to this plan and tries to explain that the Jaffa are just slaves in their own right. They have really nothing to do with this. And Jack just like doesn't want to hear because he's like, there are 1.5 billion with a B, billion with the B people dead. And the Jaffa are the ones that are killing us. So uh, yeah, we're going to bomb Chulak. And Jack's like, unless he has anything like important or like handy to do, I want him gone. And then he walks out. So Daniel then starts like muttering to himself, like this can't be, this can't be happening. Why, how this is not like, what, what is going on? And starts just sort of spewing theories about it. And is like, did the gate like malfunction and send me to the wrong earth? And Sam's like, no, the gate doesn't travel between alternate realities, which is apparently a term that Daniel has never heard before. So Sam explains in very basic terms, the theory about alternate realities, about how every decision leads to an alternate reality. And Daniel's like, well, maybe I found one in, like, actuality. So See, support for me saying that if if this had happened to Sam, she would have known what the hell was going on. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, but still, that's not something, like, the gate itself would have done. And Catherine's like, well, maybe it was that thing you touched on, P3R233. And he's like, oh, yeah, this all started after I touched that thing. Stargate um, Antiquities. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, but also interesting that apparently this alternate Earth has also been to P3R233 and also call it P3R233. So it's like things are like just sort of like a hair off. It's not completely different, but it's just different enough. But some things are still like the same, which is interesting. But while there, did they collect any Stargate artifacts? Uh, oh. Nice. Face. Um, <laughs> Sorry, and that was just—it was like, oh, artifacts, gotta use it. Love it. it, love it. Um, and suddenly there's an off-world activation, and they're also receiving a coded transmission from Air Force One. And Sam tells whoever is talking about the coded transmission to notify General Neal and to get the rest of the Genesis travelers briefed and ready to go. So Sam and Catherine then leave and do whatever it is they need to do to keep things moving. And Daniel spots an empty computer and starts searching and he finds his personnel file. Googles himself. Well, like on the internal database. It do you notice that like nobody seems to care that he's on? Yeah. <laughs> no. At this <laughs> point, obviously he's got, you know, a password that works yeah. on this highly secure military network. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah probably um, just password <laughs> right yeah because jack set it up or it's one two three four five yeah <laughs> one of those things uh but um so the file is like it's virtually empty except for a picture that is probably like the most james 
Spader Michael Shanks has ever looked in his life. Oh my God. Yes. Like I'd like, I wonder if they did some sort of like picture morph thing because it just looks so much like James Spader, but also so much like Michael Shanks. Like, I don't know what they did, but it's, it's yeah. It's a real good middle ground. Yeah. And it's like blowing in the wind and looks great. One of his Um, supermodel suits. It might've been like one of his test photos, like one of his test character photos. Ooh, oh, oh, that's, that's true. Yeah, his headshots. Like, he even said when he sent his headshots in, he has said that he made himself look as much like James Spader as possible in his headshots. So it yeah. could have been one of those. That's that's a good idea. Yeah. I bet it was. So we have the picture, and then we also have that his last place of residence was Egypt. So Daniel walks over to the world map, and he's like, "Well, crap, I'm probably dead." Like, the Daniel in this world is probably dead because apparently Egypt has just been, like, wiped out. Right. This is a so. good thing. We'll find out in a few years. Yes. So Hammond comes in and asks about Voyager's status, which, okay, is Voyager Air Force One or is it, like, another, like, just plain thing with the important people on it? Because, like, so he asks about Voyager's status and then Sam says the president, the president's plane is 10 minutes from Peterson Air Force Base. But the president's plane is Air Force One. So, like, what's Voyager? Well, maybe that was the president's code name. Oh, like, I'll, like, presidents all have, like, code names. Yeah. I just kept thinking of us, that it was a, that it was a spaceship. That's but what I why, was thinking. Right. That it was a, but we never had a shuttle named Voyager, did we? Yeah. We, it was the thing, V. it was V'ger from Star Trek. It was the thing that we <laughs> sent out into the galaxy and then forgot about as soon as we couldn't reach it anymore. But but Hammond asks, what's Voyager's status? And Sam's answer to the question about Voyager status is the president's plane is 10 minutes from Peterson. So I, I'm with a I'm I'm, I'm going to go with Rachel then and say that it's that particular flight's code name. Well, I think it's the like the president, like the personal, like the person, his personal code name for his yeah. person. Yeah, I think that works because, yeah. His personal nickname for, you know, the Secret Service and stuff. Was, where is Voyager? Oh, she's five minutes away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she's not coming from very far. Is it really a voyage? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that they took off from D.C. and they've been like just ahead of this giant wall of flame coming down from motherships mm-hmm. the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always, I always think of like you know Independence Day. You know the big yes. shots. Yeah. Uh, in like California, like was it Los Angeles when that thing and there's just that wall of explosion mm-hmm. behind them. Uh, um, scorched Earth, actually, once I had seen that, is the way I see this. Um, oh, with okay. the terraforming machine. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That that's that's the way I that's the way I think they. And it, I I also think that this is the same thing they did to P three R three three three. Two three three or two three three. What they're doing to Earth is the same thing that they did to two three three. So Earth will be left completely uninhabitable and radioactive when they're done. And Earth will also be Kuroshnai. Yes. Okay. So the president's plane's ten minutes out, and we get another incoming transmission from the pilot, and it gets played over the speakers for everybody. And Air Force One is now being directly pursued by an enemy aircraft, and it's apparently one of the big ones, and it gets taken out. Air Force One is down, and the enemy aircraft is headed right for the SGA, uh, but they can't evacuate because there's still the incoming wormhole, which they've apparently deduced is from the ghoul to just sort of tie up the gate so they can't leave. 
And so the camera then like pans up to a monitor where we see one of the big pyramid ships come in to like hover over Cheyenne Mountain. And Daniel's like, it's not going to fire. It's going to land because this is where the Stargate is. They want to control this. They don't want to destroy this, at least not yet. Right. So we cut to the briefing room and we learn that the Jaffa that have landed are preparing to basically just come in the front door. And so Jack is giving orders to like lock everything down and blow the secondary elevator shafts. And Hammond's like, well, that will only leave one way down if men at the surface need to fall back. And Jack's like, just kind of shrugs it off like, well, yeah. And so Jack then also orders all non-essential personnel, including Catherine and Daniel, to evacuate to the beta site as soon as they can. But they can't because the gate's being kept active from off-world, most likely because of the bomb that they sent to Chulak. And he's like, okay, so what do we do? And so this is where we get the first uh, bit of information that the gate can only stay open for so long. Um, According to Sam, when the SGA gate is at full power, they can only maintain a wormhole for 30 minutes. So perhaps the same is true for the Gould from Offworld as well. Do you find it weird that Daniel doesn't ever mention the other Stargate? Oh, yeah, the Antarctic Gate? Yeah. Well, they can't even really leave the mountain, so how would they even get there? But maybe they could contact somebody. Hmm. Because obviously the Gould are focused on where they are. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Huh. That I mean, it's possible, but it's also possible that he looked at that map and saw that Antarctica was already destroyed, so there's no one in McMurdo anymore either. Well, yeah, but if they're if the Gould's goal, say that fast, um, if their goal is to wipe out civilization, Antarctica is not really going to be their primary objective. Yeah. No, not a, no. It would be just something that would be just like a mop-up operation or whatever. Yeah, Antarctica yeah. would probably be, like, low on the list of targets to take out, because there's, like, what, 10 people there? Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, oh. I don't know how many people are at McMurdo. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. I do wonder why he never came up as, like, a, hey, by the way. Like, by the way, there's another one. You should probably go see if you can get that one working, because that one has a DHD. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. That one is under how much ice? I mean, yeah, there is that problem of how would they how would they get to get it to in it. time? Because it's not it's not had the um, cavern blown open with the wormhole. Yeah. So it's probably like completely enclosed. Yeah. Like under 100 feet of ice or something. Yeah. True. But I mean, even if he he could have even just like thrown it out there and maybe Sam could have found some way to connect to it. Yeah. Smarty pants. I don't know. Right. I just find it weird that he never even mentioned like, hey, there's there's another one. I don't know if this will help. Yeah. yeah. That is kind of odd. Hmm. Or to ask them if they had the second. They, they, okay. He should have asked them if they had the second one at Nellis. Yeah. Because that's where we took ours. Yeah. And then it could be like, what second gate? Yeah. Just a, mm-hmm. just, yeah, just a side conversation. Yeah. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's already so much happening in this episode that there probably just isn't time for that. Right. (laughs) And I don't know if they could, 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 I I know they can, I know they can dial out at the same time because that's how Mayborn hid their dials. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, they they dialed out the same time the SGC was dialing out, so the surge would not be as noticeable. Right. But could they dial out while the other gate is engaged incoming? It, wouldn't they get the busy signal? Well, well, they got the busy signal because they were trying to dial Earth from Earth. Right. And what happens when you dial your own phone number? Wrong person to ask. Right. Yeah. I got the episode right <laughs> yeah. this time. Yes. I mean, and uh, and the Antarctic Gate does have a different point of origin. So right. theoretically, you should be able to dial out while something's incoming to the SGA. Oh, that's true. He really should have asked them if they had the it second would, gate at Nellis because they yeah. could then. But then, how are they getting anybody to Nellis? It, does it, does it even still exist at that point? Yeah, I mean, does that? Or yeah, have, they have like wiped out Earth entirely except for Cheyenne Mountain. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But very good question, Pinky. That was a good. That was a good one. Yeah. Thinky thoughts. Mm-hmm. Many thinky thoughts in this episode. So we then cut to Jack putting a bomb inside an elevator where they send the car up, like give it a five count and then blow it. So that elevator shaft is done for. And then Jack and his team leave through a different elevator to continue the journey back down. And we cut to the briefing room now where Daniel is listening to something on headphones. And this is apparently uh, just like an audio transmission that came from the same area of space as P3R233. And the SGA apparently went there after receiving the transmission, but they sort of found what we had found where like it had already been destroyed, but they didn't find a mirror, or didn't notice a mirror, or just recognize the thing as the mirror. And so Daniel sort of writes what he's hearing and he's like, oh, yeah, you didn't go to Abydos. You didn't hear this dialect of Egyptian being spoken. So also interesting fact, apparently the people from P3R 233 speak like the Abydonian language, which is interesting. Very interesting since Daniel couldn't decipher any of their writing and said it was a completely alien culture. Those two things don't mesh yeah unless the thing they were Uh-oh. unless the thing they were looking at was an artifact from a complete from not p3r233 since we, they you know appeared to be like us and took things from other places right possibly um so anyway apparently what the people said the transmission they sent out was beware the destroyers they come from and then like a series of beeps and it's a group of three, a group of 32, 16, 8, 10, and 12. Everybody's favorite lottery numbers. Uh, and Daniel's like, well, that's six numbers, right? And Sam's like, yeah. He's like, that's a gate address. And she's like, oh, my God. So, like, that maybe that's where the attack originated from. And they're like, maybe like a Gould homeworld or like a military base at least. Okay, great, cool. But, like... How do we know, like, what symbol is three, what symbol is 32, et cetera? And they're like, well, the only symbol that could be one is the point of origin. So, but where is that on the gate relative to, you know, the other symbols to know where to start counting? And hey, guess what? Daniel has it on tape. (gasps) Ah, because Daniel tapes everything. Apparently, even though I think this is maybe the second time we've seen it. So... They're going on about that when suddenly we hear the sound of the gate shutting off. It's like, okay, quick, get to the control room, dial the beta site. And they got to get like all seven symbols dialed in in order to lock out any sort of like incoming wormhole. And so like 
ticking clock, ticking clock going on down here. And we cut to Jack up on another floor with a team of men and they get into position aiming at like one of the blast doors that they've closed when the doors explode open. And here come the Jaffa. They're in the base. So back in the control room, we've got five chevrons locked in and then it's interrupted by an incoming wormhole. Damn it. So they got to get the dialing computer going faster. And so also the lingering question is how long can the Gould keep the wormhole active from off world? 38 minutes. Yep. Keep that number in mind. It's just, it's very important for like the whole rest of the series. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Also, also important for the rest of the series. The DHD is always better than the dialing computer. Always. Yes. Yes. I also find it interesting that the DHD doesn't have to spin the gate, but ours does, even though we basically have a DHD. Like we've, you know, kind of MacGyvered a DHD out of computers. We still have to spin the gate when Offworld doesn't. That's true, because Daniel always just presses. It's just boom, 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 go, and you're gone. Maybe it's a difference in the way that the signal is sent. And since ours are coming from Earth computers, one signal has to terminate before another can begin. Because you can't send seven packets down the same line at the same time. You'll overload your, you'll basically DDoS the gate. Right. Ah, okay. I guess that makes sense. And if the, if the, um... Well, at this point, they assume the Gould. But if the Ancients had found a way around that, mm-hmm. then... The Stargate Ancients? Ooh, yes! <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I do, too. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> but if the, if, the, if the Ancients had found a way around that, then the DHD doesn't need to wait to process like a computer does. Right. So... They need to get the date, the gate to spin faster somehow. Um, and so back up with. Up. What? Feed the hamster up. Yeah. Feed the hamster <laughs> run faster. Give him some caffeine. Give him some sugar. Right. Get the hamster, yeah. So back up with Jack and his team. Things are, are not going well. And he orders the men to fall back. And then one of the Jaffa steps forward and does the, the helmet opens. And, hey, it's Tilk. And he looks really super frowny, like even more frowny than he usually does. He probably had to practice that one. Yeah. So back in the briefing room, they're looking at Daniel's tape to try and figure out the symbols for the gate address with the, you know, the beeps from the audio transmission. And Colonel Hammond tells General O'Neill about what they're doing when he comes in. And Jack immediately is like, "Okay, we'll send a bomb through one to figure out the address. And Daniel's like, "Uh, no, I mean, sending a bomb through to there won't change what's happening here. Like the the, the attack is already going on. They're not going to like leave. Also, what if they have like an iris like you do, like you do, you sending a bomb through really isn't going to do anything at this point. And Sam's like, yeah, I kind of agree with Daniel on this one. And if they only have one chance to dial out and they waste on that, then they're probably just never going to be able to dial out to anywhere else. Like they basically they have one shot and dialing this planet is going to be useless basically at this point. Right. And back on Daniel's tape, we see our Jack and Sam looking around and uh, 
alt Sam is like just completely enthralled. She's got like got this huge smile on her face and she's like, I'm looking at an alternate version of myself. How cool is this? And and Jack. And who's that guy? That's Tilk. Big guy. Gold emblem on his head and gold in his stomach. And Catherine's like, that's the Jaffa that just led the attack into the SGA. And Daniel's like, well, yeah, as first prime of Apophis, he, you know, would be in charge of, you know, the very important mission that this is. Right. And this is where we get now the sort of crux and is like, if we can figure out this gate address from this transmission, I need to go home. It's probably very selfish of me to ask this, but like this, ha- this attack hasn't happened to my planet yet. If I can get this information back to my Earth, we might be able to like stop this all from happening there. And Sam's like, you know, how how do you know this would even happen on your Earth? And he's like, well, we've certainly pissed off the ghoul enough that it's very likely that this is going to be happening at some point. Right. And which, I, yeah. So Jack does not like this plan. He's like, you want to use our one shot at dialing out and possibly escaping this attack just so you can go home and save people that we don't know. Stargate anticipators. (laughs) (laughs) And Daniel goes, the Jack O'Neill that I know would do it. And this Jack goes, well, apparently you and I have never met. (sighs) So, this, That's I mean, a this, rough thing to hear from your best friend, even yeah. if your best friend is not actually your best friend. It really is. It's like, oh, there, there's, there. Daniel's heart just breaks a little bit in that. There is so much Jack and Daniel oh. in this episode, and D- Jack's not even hardly in it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this all might be like a moot point anyway, because like the Jaffa are in the base, they're getting close, and they're still. 22 minutes left until like the wormhole cuts out and we could even try to dial out. And it's very doubtful. They can hold off the Jaffa for that long. Right. And, and how like, awesome is Teal's hair, by the way? Oh, I'm getting to that. Give me like two seconds and we'll get there. Ah. You're, you're the one anticipating now, Rachel. I am a Stargate anticipator. <laughs> and so Daniel's like, I might have an idea about like, how to how to hold the Jaffa off and Jack's like great how he's like not how who cut to Tilk with hair what? He's, still, he's still mostly bald except for this like little circle on the top of his head that's like all gathered in like a ponytail that like almost reaches to his shoulder it's, it's a prince's knot from ancient Egypt oh is that what that is yes Do you have a fun fact for us? I do. Um, (laughs) Only because that that fan fiction that I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. one of the characters that I, well, the only original character that I created for that one, Inod, had a prince's knot. And because I wanted his hair to be very specific. And I researched it and I looked it up. And that is a prince's knot. So... So did that mean only princes had it or any sort of important person? Um, usually it was important people. Um, if, you, if you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, Ramses had one and so did his son. Didn't some of the little boys that were protecting Ra from the movie have that too? Yes. Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. Well, 
thank you for that. And even think to like look up if that was even in like a kind of hairstyle. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. You're welcome. Thanks. Occasionally, the stupid stuff that I do hours and hours of research on for fanfic that never makes it into the story comes in handy. Yeah. The life of a fangirl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently the Jaffa have started just basically just like blasting through the floor to get from like level to level. And we see them lowering some kind of weapon down that almost looks like a staff weapon on like steroids. Like it's just this huge, the Hulk of a thing. And then back in the briefing room, we're like the team is all watching the Jaffa just walk through the facility on the security camera. And we see Tilk walking down the hall, look up, see it and then like shoot it. And Jack's like, this, this is the guy. This is the guy. You want me to go talk to this guy and try to convince him to betray his people? Like this guy. He, I, Jack doesn't look very positive about I would his neither. chances of success at this point. Um, I mean, but yeah, I can't blame him. And Daniel's like, well, you've done it before. And Jack's like, yeah, well, this time we blew up Chulak. Right. So... That's probably not going to be a good thing. And also, I mean, how do we even know he's the same Tilk that you know? And Dan's like, well, I don't. Obviously, this is a different world, but it's yeah, it's close enough that it's it's worth giving it a try, right? Can't can't hurt to try, maybe. Eh. Right. So Jack's like, all right. So he starts to walk off, and then Sam calls it out and goes after him, where uh, they hug and kiss. Because apparently this Jack and Sam are engaged to be married. Well, do you find it interesting, too, that they didn't actually, they had, like, their affection going on, like, in the background? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, well, her calling him Jack and uh, just a couple of times and, and little stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm going to just take this moment to say, as good a writer as Robert C. Cooper is, I hate him for this. Because he started this whole nonsense. Yeah. And I am such an anti-Jack and Sam shipper because it is so against regulation. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think he put it in here because Sam's not part of the military, so they could? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they kept coming back to it, like, every single time. Right. And it became such a trope. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise, this is one of my favorite episodes, obviously. Yes. So, yeah. All right. So we then cut to the gate room where uh, Colonel Hammond is basically giving the group of soldiers, sorry, you're all about to die, but please give your life in service of your people in your country and save the SGA speech thing. (laughs) (laughs) Go sacrifice yourselves to save the people that are all dead. Yeah. I mean, it is a very good speech. I will give him that. It's a very good speech, but it's like, it's, you know, it's all, you're about, you're, you're all, please go die for us. <laughs> it, it, it's the anti-independence day speech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, We're gonna die. Let's go do it. In style. Yes. So we then cut to Jack entering the hallway where Tilk is and the other Jaffa are like setting up that weapon that we saw earlier. And he has his hands up and he's like, I surrender. And he then addresses Tilk by name, which he's like, probably wondering how I know that. And well, I got quite a story to tell you. 
And back in the control room, Sam has managed to get the dialing sequence down a few more seconds, and Colonel Hammond also orders that the self-destruct be set to go off two minutes past the estimated time that they'll be able to dial out. Basically, once the gate from off-world shuts out, two minutes, and then self-destruct. And he's like, if the ghouls want this place in one piece, I intend to disappoint them. With you on that, Colonel. There you go. Yeah. Blow the whole mountain up. Yeah. That's like that that that's kind of like a little bit of like the general Hammond we know, I think, you know. It is. Kind of coming through. It's yeah. but the, you know what it's gonna do is just gonna make the gate all that much more accessible to them because we can't blow up at the Naquita. Yeah. But we can destroy everything else. Everything else. Yeah. yeah. So back to Jack and Tilk, and Jack is showing Daniel's tape to Tilk, and Tilk is like, This is all lies and deception. And Tilk has also never heard of this whole alternate reality thing. And, like, Jack is trying to do his best to, like, convince Tilk invoking, like, his family and, like, the name of his son. And, well, he's already received word that Chulak was destroyed and his family are all dead. And Jack's like, well, crap. Damn you, Jack. You killed Ryak. You did. Bad Jack. Not good. And Braytac. Oh, yeah. And Braytac. Well, is Braytac with them or is Braytac with them? I don't know. We never Hmm. see it. No. But anyway, Tilk just walks over to that weapon, aims it at Jack, and fires. Bye, bye Jack. Sorry. Yeah, that one's going to hurt. Yep. So. Or not. I mean, it's going to blow the whole center of his chest out. That's true. Maybe he won't feel it. He'll just be instantly dead. Right. One One can hope. It might take his head <laughs> off at the same time, too, depending on how wide that blast radius is. It's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. It's a big weapon, yeah. Yeah. It's like the guns off the death gliders. Yeah. Just on, a, on a tripod. Yeah. Yeah. So back in the control room, Catherine orders Sam and Daniel to get down to the gate room so that they're ready to go once the gate shuts off. She's like, don't worry, I'll join you once the dialing sequence starts. So basically, she's just going to like push go and run out to join them. And Daniel mentions that he may be able to send help once he gets back to his world or maybe like let them through to his. And Catherine's like, oh, don't forget that thing that might control the mirror. And Sam runs off to go get it. And I also like in the scene, we get one of um, like Michael's title card shots from the opening credits. That nice sort of like slow zoom in on his face when he's looking down at Catherine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, and then the next scene when he like runs into the gate room is uh, the other one. of yep. his from the opening credits. Um, so out in the hall, Hammond and his team are under attack and the Jaffa are winning. And uh, they they all they all die, including Hammond. They're all dead. Unfortunately, it's very sad. And, and Walter. And Walter, who's still Davis at this point. He's not yet been renamed to Harriman. Oh. Uh, yes, he's still Walter Davis at this point. So he's also in civilian clothing, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, which, I noticed which, that. He's not in his uniform. Yeah, which might lend lend credence to the this is still a civilian operation. If he is, is Walter a civilian. Walter a civilian. Hmm. Possibly. Hmm. Um, but anyway, the we've got two minutes until now they can dial out. So apparently we're at like the 36 minute mark. And we cut to up in the briefing room where Sam is surrounded by Jaffa. So the Jaffa have made it all the way down to basically the gate level. And she immediately surrenders and is like, I have information for Apophis. I have this device that can control an interdimensional portal. 
it is really cool and I can tell them how to like get there too. And she gives the device to one of the Chafa. And for a minute, I'm really mad at Sam. I'm like, what like what are you doing, Sam? Why are you giving this to the Jaffa? Uh, but then she pulls a grenade out of her pocket and says, oh, yeah, I also wish to blow us all to hell. And I'm like, OK, there's uh, Sam. That's there's our Sam. Sam. That's our Sam. Yeah. But for a minute, like, you... what are you doing? How long do you think that grenade was in her pocket? The, the whole time? I think, she she around with I think she grabbed it when she left the, the dialing room. You don't yeah. think she just carries it around all the time? Like, you never know when I'm going to need this. <laughs> I mean, on this day, maybe. <laughs> Thank God she wore that big fluffy sweater that day. Yes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, if she had a business suit on, forget about it. She's not carrying a grenade in her pocket. Well, she no. has a suit, but it's the 90s, so it's a very loose-fitting suit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but back in the gate room, the gate finally shuts off and Catherine starts the dialing sequence, but she is unfortunately then surrounded by Jaffa and they attack as she closes the blast doors. So Daniel basically starts to see Catherine get murdered, but doesn't see the final bit of it. Daniel then, Jackson is now the only person, the only human alive on earth. Boom. That's it. Basically. Yeah. Pretty much at this point. That's, that's true. And then we get um, like a staff blast, like coming through the gate room doors and Daniel's like getting ready to run up the ramp. And we hear an automated voice auto destruct in one minute. And then we get another staff blast and Tilk steps in and we now have 30 seconds to self-destruct. And he and Daniel just sort of stare at each other for a minute. And then the wormhole opens. Daniel runs for the gate as Tilk raises his staff weapon and fires, hitting Daniel in the shoulder as he just falls through the gate. The blast doors opened and there are only Jaffa alive in the mountain and on Earth at this point. And then we have the auto-destruct counting down in 10, 9, 8, Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Flash to white, and the mountain is destroyed. I do kind of like where Teal's just kind of looking around, like, huh? I'm eh. gonna die now. Yeah, <laughs> I guess this well is for it. me. Yeah. So, do you guys think? Because I always have. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that Teal was starting to believe everything Jack said once he saw Daniel standing on that ramp? Because I think he took longer to fire than he should have. I mean, there, there's definitely something that made him pause. Yeah, but I'm not. I definitely agree with that, too. I just don't. I can't figure out what it would have been. I, I mean, if it's I, it may have just been, oh, hey, alternate realities. Maybe that is a thing. I don't know if he necessarily started to believe the whole you betrayed your people thing. But maybe just the whole maybe alternate realities are a thing. See, because I've always kind of like half thought that something in Teal actually recognized Daniel. Yeah, that's what his expression said. But Teal has never even seen Daniel because Daniel was taping. Therefore, Daniel wasn't on the tape. Yeah. But yeah, his expression definitely said, I recognize this guy. Hmm. Like, you know, like he's he's taken aback yeah. by yeah. And Daniel is looking at him with you are my best friend, please don't shoot me eyes. Yeah. Maybe it's that that he was reacting to just the look on Daniel's face of like Daniel recognizes me or like this guy recognizes me and knows me what's what's going on. 
here. Yeah, there's okay. something. There's something there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but then we cut to Daniel falling through the gate on P3R233. He manages to get himself up, goes back to the room with the mirror and touches it. And we get the flash of light. And then we cut to the gate room again on P3R233. But this time it's our P3R233 with Jack, Sam and Tilk looking around for Daniel. And we suddenly hear Daniel scream in pain and they all go running back to the room with the mirror and we see Daniel laying on the floor holding his shoulder and everybody's like what the hell happened and Sam finds the piece of paper with the gate address on it and Jack orders them back to earth and Daniel suddenly sort of like shakes him out of whatever sort of pain stupor he's in he's like no Jack we're all in very big trouble they're coming they're coming the end I think it would have been a, when a good choice if, well, they had the clip of the three of them looking for him. One of them would have said, I hate when this happens. Oh. Yes. <laughs> oh, that would have been a good callback. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would have been fantastic. Plus, it, it would have Great. it would have been a little bit of humor in the, yeah. in the, the darkness. Yeah. But I have to say this whole sequence from from Daniel tumbling ass over tea kettle out of the Stargate. Mm-hmm. All the way to the very end is probably among my favorite tag scenes ever in the entire series. Just the 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 way like he he manages to get himself up and he's yeah. he's walking and he gets to the mirror and all of this then screams I'm assuming as he fell. Yeah. And then passes out. He's unconscious yeah. when they get there. Yeah. And then he drags himself literally out of unconsciousness to talk to them. Yeah. This is this is a very good episode for Michael Shanks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. good Daniel episode. And I've always wondered how exactly was Jack going to get an unconscious Daniel back through the Stargate with just the three of them? Was he well, going to have to carry him? Yeah, of course. Tuck can totally carry Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, since at, at this point, Michael Shanks weighs like 110 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least he looks like he does because they, they keep putting him in uniforms two sizes too big. Right. Because mm-hmm. they want him to look small. Yes. Okay, so uh, should we get into the episode title? Yes. Yeah. So, There Before the Grace of God. So yeah. the full quote is uh, often said as There Before the Grace of God Go I. And so this is a phrase that is often attributed to John Bradford, who lived in England from about 1510 to 1555, and is said to have uttered the phrase, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford, as he watched prisoners that were being led to their deaths. John Bradford was an English reformer and martyr who was burned at the stake on July 1st, 1555, for alleged crimes against Queen Mary I. However... The attribution of this quote to Bradford is not seen in any written record before the early 1800s. Its first mention is in a book called The Writings of John Bradford that was edited that was edited by Aubrey Townsend, who says in the preface, the familiar story that on seeing evildoers taken to the place of execution, he was wont to exclaim, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford, is a universal tradition which has overcome the lapse of time. 
the attribution to Bradford is also mentioned in a treatise on prayer by Edward Bickersteth in 1822, in which he says, the pious martyr Bradford, when he saw a poor criminal led to execution, exclaimed, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. He knew that the same evil principles were in his own heart, which had brought the criminal to that shameful end. However, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, in the Sherlock Holmes story, The Boscombe Valley Mystery, published in 1891, attributes the phrase to Richard Baxter through Sherlock Holmes in the story, who says, Why does fate play such tricks with poor, helpless worms? I never hear of such a case as this that I do not think of Baxter's words and say, There but for the grace of God goes Sherlock Holmes. Richard Baxter lived from November 12, 1615 to December 8, 1691, and was an English Puritan church leader, poet, hymn writer, and theologian. He was a very controversial figure in the Calvinist tradition, as his teachings seem to undermine the typical salvation by faith alone stance and emphasize the need for like an active repentance on the part of the person. So... There doesn't really seem to be any solid evidence that John Bradford did actually say that, say that the, the there but for the grace of God go I, but he is the type of man who probably would have said such a thing. So, oh. there you go. Yeah. Well, it sounded like he maybe said, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. And then it got yeah. flipped around to sound hoitier. Yes, there before the grace of God go I. So right, basically mm-hmm. just means well, I step one step the other direction, and that's me. Exactly, yeah. So. so, which I think is a very good title for like an alternate universe type story, where it's yes. just yeah, like one step off the path, and this is your world, your reality. Yes. So, yes, it's also the longest title of any Stargate SG One episode. Not surprised. No, it is a very long title. Yeah. Fire and water. Sorry, that's the episode with Nim. I just remembered it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Boom. Got it. We got there eventually. Stargate Tourette's with Bree. Wow. Talk about getting that one in under the wire. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um. Any memos other than don't touch anything? I'm just like, don't touch anything. Uh, yeah. Is, is it like especially Daniel, don't touch anything, or just blanket for everybody, don't touch anything? No, I, I think I think that at this point, Jack actually made it a team rule that Daniel is not allowed to touch things. But <laughs> Daniel never followed this rule and continued touching things yeah. throughout yeah. the rest of his life. Um, and is probably still touching things even as we speak. <laughs> Please say touching things one more time. Uh, the, 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 well, in, in my world where Stargate is real, Daniel is touching all kinds of things on Vala. But anyway. <laughs> oh. Whew. Yeah, but in, in fan fiction, definitely. This this is the point at which fan fiction writers all generally tend to agree that Jack made it an actual explicit rule, especially if other teams borrow his archaeologist, he is not to touch things. Don't let him touch things, yes. Yes. Don't touch things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Bad things happen. Yes. 
Um, some interesting discussion points I found in doing research that I wanted to bring up to you guys. One comment mentioned that this is probably the closest to movie O'Neill we get in the series. Ah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why why what do we think is different? Like what what could possibly have kept O'Neill his surly movie self rather than the Richard Dean Anderson slightly more rambunctious O'Neill that we um, get? He didn't know Daniel. Yeah, that was a, that's simple. No Daniel. Okay. Daniel's that powerful, huh? Well, Daniel is that powerful a force in Jack's life. They think about what happened to them on Abydos. How did they end up going from, you know, Jack hating all scientists to probably literally the best friend Jack has ever had in a matter of days? It was that they saved each other's lives. Daniel was willing to die to save Jack and did die to save Jack. Um, and that made Jack want to go back and keep living so who did that for him? Because he did come back from Abydos in the alternate timeline. And this one is probably Sam. So yeah. Do you think, so do you think he was like with Sam before the Abydos mission, possibly, in, in, in the alternate timeline? Um, I would say so. Like maybe not engaged, but in a relationship of some kind? Yeah, they're together, I okay. think. It How long did been, he... Yeah. Say it wouldn't have been Scara because... He blew the people of Abydos up, right? So you think that did happen? Like, Abydos blew up, not just Ra's ship. Right. Okay. That's an interesting change. Okay. How long was he supposed to be... Do you guys remember, for the movie, how long had he been... Had it been since his son had killed himself and he was separated from his wife? He and Sarah weren't separated yet, were they? Yeah. No. She goes, well... Not because legally. Our, because series Jack, when he takes Daniel home with him that first night, tells yeah. him that Sarah left him while he was while there. he was on Abigail. Yeah, and we we do see mm. I think in the in the movie when they show up at his house, isn't she's there, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's the yeah. one that actually takes um, is it Simmons to him? I think so. Yeah. Hmm. Or at least the movie version of Simmons. Um, okay. So he wouldn't have been with Sam. So no, I guess no, not then. No, still have been with Sarah. He would, he would have, but maybe, hmm. yeah, I don't know. That's rough because the yeah. only reason Jack didn't kill himself on Abydos was because Daniel died to save him. Yeah. Um, And that made him not suicidal anymore. Right. And then they, you know, they had that, that talk when they were hiding and, um, Daniel basically told him that there were people that did not want him to die. And Daniel is like the only person who has told him this since Charlie died. So yeah. do um, we think Catherine went to Abydos maybe in this alternate timeline and she somehow talked him around when they were there? Well, that's an idea. But I don't know if she would be comfortable with blowing up Abydos. So maybe if so maybe Catherine was sort of Daniel and while not everything happened exactly the same, she may have been they may have done the same thing then and just blown up Rob, but not the planet or at least, you know, the city there. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Maybe. Yeah, but they they wouldn't have had the ability to blow up Ra's ship if not for Daniel and Share. Why not? 
Well, because Jack wouldn't have known how to get in. They may have still seen the rings being used. Yeah, that's true. It's not like they were, like, hidden. You just had to see them. And, you know, it's a possibility that they still saw them being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because the first time we see Jack actually see the rings being used is when Daniel grabs Charay and screams, wait for me. Yeah. And jumps into them. So... But, you know, things are just a little different, so. Right. Yeah. One way or the other, Suicidal Jack came back. Not jacked up suicidal. And yeah. So, okay. Um, another interesting point, the the rank swap between Hammond and O'Neill. Um, yes. Especially with Hammond being fairly significantly older than O'Neill, what would have kept him as a colonel and not having advanced to general. Any thoughts on that? Because he is so much our Hammond, they disciplined the hell out of him for it. That Uh, has always been my belief that he was still a colonel because of disciplinary issues. Because he's too big of a smart ass. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's what I always thought anyway. I like that one. Yep. Me too. Okay. Um, anything else from you guys? Questions, comments, concerns? Any more A words for us before we go? Daniel is pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Stargate alternate reality. Ooh, Stargate alternates. Yeah. Uh, okay. I like it. <laughs> I like all of them. And remember um, all Stargate asshats. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's probably the best one out of all of them. Because <laughs> they are. Right. And I'm pretty sure I got that word from Jack at some point. Didn't he call someone an asshat? Oh. I don't know. I, I don't know where I first heard it, but I think the best use of asshat is in Pitch Perfect. Where Aubrey goes, your ass is in that. Please, what was it? Was it get your head out of your ass? It's not a hat. No, yeah. That's like the best way of calling somebody an ass hat ever. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or email us at woo, W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. Brie, if people would like to find you on the internet, where can they do that? I am Brianna25, and I am on a podcast called Cobra Kai Companion, which is a Cobra Kai podcast. Go figure. No, Um, you don't say. Right. And the the, uh, host is uh, Peter Vonasek. Um, That is at Cobra Kai Pod on Twitter. I am Brianna25 on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, Archive of Our Own, Fanfiction.net, and YouTube. All right, and we will see you next time for politics. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.